and welcome to Movie Culture. Today we are talking about Luca. Luca was released in 2021, this year, and is Pixar's 24th feature film. The movie was directed by Enrico Casarosa and written by Jesse Andrews and Mike Jones from a story by Casarosa. If you have not seen this movie, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion. Luca is a sea monster who transforms into a human boy when on dry land, but is forbidden by his parents from approaching the surface. One day, Luca meets Alberto, another sea monster who lives above the surface as a boy. Luca runs off with Alberto, eager to see the world but leaving his family behind. The boys dream of getting a Vespa and seeing the world together, and they make their way to a small fishing village. They are taken in by Julia and her burly fisherman father, but understand that no one can see their true form, as everyone in the town fears and hates sea monsters. With Julia, the boys train for a triathlon of swimming, biking, and eating pasta, hoping that the prize money would buy a vest before them. Luca and Julia become close, and Alberto becomes jealous. Alberto reveals his true form to Julia, but Luca feigns shock and anger and drives Alberto away. It doesn't take long for Julia to figure out Luca's secret as well, and she shoes him away for his own safety. Luca attempts to reconcile with Alberto, and failing, he tries to win the triathlon on his own. Despite swimming in heavy waterproof scuba gear, Luca takes the lead while biking, but a rainstorm approaches. As the rain starts, Alberto arrives to cover Luca with an umbrella, but both boys have their true forms revealed regardless. Luca wins the race, but the town doesn't know how to react. Julia and her father stand up for the boys as other sea monsters reveal themselves as well, and the town happily welcomes them in the end. So Josh, the last Pixar movie. The most recent Pixar movie. <laughs> That's true. Pixar's still going. <laughs> yeah, these are coming out all the time. What did you think? I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's a very clean, small, light movie. I don't think it hit me as hard emotionally as some other ones. I wouldn't necessarily say that I loved it, but I liked it. What about you? I have been trying to think about how to talk about this movie or how to describe how I feel about it. And I think that I would say the exact opposite, which is somehow that I loved this movie, but I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I've ever felt that way about a movie before. It's sort of a strange movie. Yeah, this is the second time that we've watched it. So we watched mm -hmm. it when it first came out, and then we just watched it tonight. And I definitely appreciated it more the second time. Mm -hmm. The first time, I think I had certain expectations of what Pixar was or what kind of story I expected from them, and it didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because Enrico Casarosa, the director and the story creator of this movie, is not in Pixar's regular stable of writers and directors, especially because that's sort of been this boys club since the early 90s, really, with, you know, originally John Lasseter, but also Pete Docter, Andrew Stanton, and other people have emerged, but through this process. 
Casarosa is really coming in from the outside. So I do think it does feel fundamentally different. I also think that there's some trademarks and it certainly has the Pixar quality stamp. But maybe in honor of that, we should switch up how we're talking about this movie and move away from our usual method, which is talking about some small things we liked and some small things we disliked before getting to the broader theme. And this time, maybe switching up that order. Yeah. So to me, it seems like there are three major things to talk about. And this, I think, can be true of basically any story, but especially with Luca, this makes sense. That there is the plot to this movie, there's the theme of this movie, and then there's the allegory, right? What this movie is sort of quietly representing. Or or not not. so quietly. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Where do you want to start? Let's start with plot, because I think that that is the part that I like the least. Mm. Um, So the first thing that I noticed when we watched this movie is that it takes a long time to start. It feels like the first act goes on and on. They're in no rush to get to the story. It's so leisurely. Right. And it feels like that is intentional. Yeah. But it is so different than the typical Pixar story where we've talked about on this podcast, like, how did they fit all of that into the first 10 minutes? How did we already get to the main story in 10 minutes? There's urgency usually in the beginning of Pixar movies. And this has... efficiency. Yes. And this is just so laid back. It takes 30 minutes for them to get to the actual island where the rest, the whole rest of the story takes place. Yeah. And, Josh, there is not one, but two montages in the first 30 minutes of this movie. And we know how I feel about montages. Are you talking about the dream sequences? No, I'm not talking about the dream sequences. What are you talking about? There is also a dream sequence in the first act, but they have a montage of them building the Vespa. Oh, yeah. And then they have like a mini montage of them literally just swimming together. And it's really nice. Like the montages are nice, but I just don't like montages. I don't think we need them. They only exist to show time passing and we don't need time to pass in the first 30 minutes. Like we can get to the story. Especially because time doesn't pass. This whole movie takes place, I think, over the course of like one week. When Luca and Alberto (laughs) are living together on an island, like that's two days. I do understand the choice, the intentional choice. I think there is a feeling in this movie that is so nostalgic. It's nostalgic for this time in childhood where the days kind of just feel infinite. Mm -hmm. There's no rush. There's no agenda. You can just kind of do whatever. I also think it's nostalgic for old Hollywood. I was going to say that too. It's very, it's also nostalgic for a specific period in time where when we look back, people, we think, oh, that was such a simpler time. Many movies from that time are leisurely and uh, nice and pleasant There's not urgency or action in the same way. One specific movie that Luca references on a number of occasions is Roman Holiday, which was the first thing I noticed when the movie starts in with Italian music. And I was like, oh, this feels like Roman Holiday. And then later they actually have the Italian language poster of Roman Holiday up. And Roman Holiday is a nice, simple movie about two people falling in love over the course of one day in Rome 
when they have to hide who they truly are or else they couldn't be in a romance together. Wow. That seems to have some parallels. Exactly. We'll get to that. (laughs) But I think the leisurely pleasantness of old Hollywood and of childhood really comes into play and sets the tone for this movie. Right. And it's nice. I actually, I really like it. It's a, it's a real mood. Yeah. And it's enjoyable and pleasant. And I think that it makes the movie feel meandering and yeah. slow, especially in the beginning. And I think it's not just the montages. It's also the dream sequences, like I mentioned. It's also long setups for short jokes. In Pixar, there's often, you know, a line and you move on. And there are full scenes about, you know, Luca learning to walk, for example, or the mom and dad splashing water on the kids in the town. Those could have been quick jokes. And instead, there's quite a lot of buildup and pacing to those jokes when there doesn't need to be, right? The laugh is the same either way. So I think those things all contribute to this leisurely, slow, maybe even dragging pacing. Yeah, so then we get to the town. Santa Rosa. There's a lot of the movie that I really connected to, which we'll get to. Um, But this kind of second third, (laughs) the middle third of the movie. Yeah, act two. Act two felt very familiar to me. There's a lot of elements that I think are very common in movies in general, but especially in children's stories. So we have... You know, the bully and then the two backup bullies, like the little trio of bullies as the main villain. And then we have a race with prize money Mm -hmm. to get to the symbol of freedom. And it's all nice. The elements are nice. But I think part of what I'm saying about, you know, it's Pixar is that I'm expecting something really fresh and original. And I mean, you mentioned the scene where Luca learns to walk. That, I mean, people have referenced this in relation to Little Mermaid a lot, but it's mm. basically the same scene. And and the beginning of the movie where Luca's collecting trinkets from the surface is the Little Mermaid. A number of parallels there also. I think it's just, it's not bad. It's just that I wanted something a little bit newer. Yeah. And I think there's so much about this movie that is great, but... The kind of like what is actually happening is driven by a triathlon. And I just wasn't very excited about a triathlon. I just wanted more from Pixar. I feel like I'm being so overly critical of a movie I very much enjoyed. And I'm sorry, (laughs) but there's a lot of bike riding, like... There is a whole training montage and then another mini montage of Luca riding a bike up a hill. And that was my favorite montage. (laughs) You know, my least favorite montage. What was your least favorite montage? The pasta eating montage. Right. That was also in this triathlon. Can I just hold on that for one second? I'm not a fan of any triathlon that you have to eat a lot of pasta and then people are like all about to throw up. That isn't fun for me to watch. I don't know why that has to be a part of this movie. Right. Yes. Um, but there's a lot of lot of pasta 
practice eating and bicycling, which I I don't know, it's not the most exciting thing to watch. The swimming part of it is inherently interesting because mm-hmm. it presents a major conflict and obstacle for our characters. If they get wet, they will be exposed. But Luca being the best at riding a bike in the whole town, despite never having touched a bike or even known what a bike is before a week earlier, less fun. And they do work at building in emotional resonance with the bike. And with the pasta, for what it's worth. Yeah, it's just that I felt that they could have used those efforts towards something that was just more interesting. Like they could have built emotional resonance around things that were fresher and more original. Yeah. Can we talk about some of the side characters? We'll get to Luca and Alberto, but some of the other characters in the plot. Yeah. I just want to shout out both Julia and her father. I think they're both super fun side characters. I think Julia is like a perfect friend character in a kid's movie. She's the perfect like, this is the new friend, the sidekick. Just very exciting, really pushes the plot forward, makes great jokes. I love the running bit where she says, Santa, and then some kind of cheese, like she's (laughs) praying to like, Santa mozzarella or Santa ricotta. She does it over and over. It's a great bit. It's really cute. I love her dad. I love that her dad was born without an arm, and he's like the biggest, burliest, toughest fisherman, Mm -hmm. but also disabled. And I love that he plays some sort of father figure to Alberto, who doesn't necessarily have one. I think that that is a really great moment. I just really appreciated the way that the side characters really support the protagonists. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, if we're talking side characters, I feel we have to shout out the cat. Cat is great. Do we? Do we? Cat is fun. I love a good cat. The best villain in this movie. The cat is a good villain. This cat, better than the cat from Soul. Oh my God, so much better. This cat was good because it didn't talk. (laughs) Yeah. I also like the subplot. There's so much allegory in this movie that I like some of it being taken just straight literally and like cats not liking fish. Yeah. That was kind of fun and cute. Yeah, it was fun. Do you have anything else on the plot? I guess, so I... Talking about the things I don't like about it. And truthfully, I didn't love the first two-thirds of the movie. But the last 15 minutes, I loved. (laughs) And I just... So I think I have criticisms of the build-up and the pacing. But at the same time, I'm very hesitant to criticize the the setup of the movie when the payoff worked so well because yeah. clearly if the ending is working then the movie is working yeah you don't get a good ending without having everything that sets up the ending and whatever the movie does to set up that ending it's hard to necessarily say that it was unnecessary yeah stories are very carefully woven <laughs> it feels like If you pick at a thread, then everything will unravel and then you have to put, I don't know, weave it all back together again. I see what you're saying, but it's just hard for me to imagine that like the scene where Luca learns to walk or the dream sequences or one of the nine montages, if you pick that out or if you shorten those scenes and just make it a little more efficient and compelling that 
the entire thing unravels. And maybe there's no way to know that. But uh, the walking scene, I definitely thought was extraneous, except that when Alberto is explaining to Luca how to walk, he finally says, you just point your feet in the direction that you want to go and you catch yourself before you fall. And that is lovely. Yeah, I agree. I also think that the entire scene, and it's like not a short scene, builds up to that one moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have been a third of the length. That's what I'm saying. Like, you don't need to unravel the whole thing and then hope you can put it back together. But like, you know, snipping off some loose ends. But of course, the end works and the story at the end feels satisfying. So you don't want to pull on any threads in case the whole thing unravels. And the reason that the end works, I think, is strongly because of the allegory. So can we start talking about that? I agree. And I would really love to move away from the sewing metaphor also. So, <laughs> Just like clearly don't know how to sew. <laughs> hey, I sewed a button back onto a jacket the other day and I'm good. so proud of good, myself. Yeah. Okay. Tay, what is the allegory for this movie? They're in love. Who? Alberto and Luca are in love. And why is that significant? Because they're cute little gay fish and they can't show who they really are without the town judging them and hating them and fearing them. And the allegory is so good. And I didn't really like the movie. And then at the end, I was crying. (laughs) So it worked. Yeah, the allegory is beautiful. There's so much about people fearing what they don't understand, people hating what they don't understand, people not feeling like they can be themselves, not show who they are, not be in the relationships that they want to, not be honest with the people close to them, living in fear of who they are. Hiding who they are. Finding solace in someone else. I mean, the allegory is the backbone of the entire movie, and it does so beautifully. Right. And I think... I want to I want to do like allegory subcategory first for Alberto because for all the things in the movie that I felt were less exciting and original I felt like Alberto's character was so fresh and mm-hmm. interesting and one of the best characters that I've seen in a children's story. Yeah. I love that it is not this like perfect friendship slash romance, like idealized relationship. Yeah. It's kind of toxic in a lot of ways. Alberto's very much trying to tell Luca who he is and be the one that's in control of the relationship. He gets very jealous. He gets, he puts Luca down a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. but also he's, it's such a, loving relationship too it's such a supportive one and i just i really like that it's so multifaceted because that's so much truer to life especially alberto being a boy right a Mm -hmm. young child who is fully trying to find his own place in the world and balancing being alone and being without a father and not feeling like he has direction or focus but showing how much direction he has and how much knowledge he has and how much expertise he has despite the fear of being found out yeah that he's lacking he has so much bravado and he's so egotistical in a way that 
is intending to mask his insecurity and his mm-hmm. fear. And he just feels so real. And I just, it's so easy to watch the movie and be like, yes, of course I've known Albertos. Oh, yeah. It just felt like the writers and the people who made this movie had so much respect for these characters and especially for Alberto and for their relationship. And it's it's in a movie that feels very nostalgic for an idealized time. But that relationship itself is realistic and it's not idealized. And I really appreciated that. And it's current. Yeah. And so rarely do we see the love interest in movies who is, in this case, both a love interest and a mentor of sorts, be also like a very flawed person Mm -hmm. and dealing with their own a whole host of issues, some of which splash back onto the protagonist and some of which don't. Oh, didn't even try. (laughs) It just came out. Also, just the beats with the two of them together are so good. Not Mm -hmm. just the ones where they're like clearly in love, (laughs) but also like... When Alberto reveals himself to be a sea monster and Luca turns around and points at him and shouts sea monster and distances himself. Awful. It's devastating, but it's real and it's impactful. Really, from that point on, I just think the movie's brilliant. I think the plot is still a little messy after that. I think, you know, Luca going back with Julia and then being found out and then going to Alberto and then getting in a fight and then coming back. There are a lot of steps that happen that happen in like the least efficient way possible. It's also, I have no clue why he needs to compete by himself. And I don't know if I missed As opposed to with Julia. Yeah, but he goes up and he's like, I have to do the race by myself. And Julia's like, why? And he's just like, because I do. Well, because Julia told him to get away. But then he, like, came back anyway. She clearly doesn't want him to go do it by himself. Like, she would be much happier if he did it with her. Yeah. And there's no reason why he wouldn't. Anyway. Honestly, if Julia swims and then eats pasta and then Luca bikes, Luca probably gets down the hill before the rain starts. (laughs) He has a huge lead. Like, Julia was dominating the first half of that triathlon. Anyway, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we wouldn't even need the emotional climax at the end if he just stayed on his team. This podcast is moving from being about a thematic analysis of Pixar movies to critiquing the athletic strategy <laughs> in Pixar movies. Okay, anyway, it is super emotionally impactful at the end. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so moving when Alberto runs up to Luca with, with an umbrella. umbrella. Uh. And then Luca reveals himself to help Alberto. And then the whole town, well, the whole town is afraid, but then Julia's dad supports them. Uh. And then they all are like, yeah, sea monsters are cool. And then my favorite part of the whole movie. This is so good. That made me cry twice now. After the town embraces and accepts Luca and Alberto, these two older women in the crowd put their umbrellas down and reveal that they too are sea monsters. And oh my gosh, it just, oh, it really gets to me. We've seen these two older women a few times through the movies, basically like wagging their fingers at the kids and being victims of the kids' carelessness. And they're like eating ice cream and hanging out. They eat ice cream a lot. And I don't know that they ever say anything, but 
when they look at each other and they nod and they lower their umbrellas and show who they are, there's so much characterization in that. And you can build the whole story of their lives. It's like, it's very beautiful. I know they've been hiding for their whole lives and now they can finally be who they are out in the open. Oh my God, it's beautiful. That's my favorite part of the movie. That's my favorite moment of the movie. There's also parts of the allegory that just really work. So the, the first time that Luca is in the town, he looks around and it's this, you know, beautiful, warmly lit scene of kids mm-hmm. playing and there's a fountain and an ice cream shop. A beautiful Italian plaza. Yes. And he looks around and what he sees are these little signs and pieces of art about like killing fish and killing sea monsters. And I think that that's just such a really lovely, subtle, brief, mm-hmm. efficient <laughs> moment of showing the ways that we are so surrounded yeah. in our culture yeah. by messaging that is so exclusionary and hateful towards certain groups of people mm-hmm. and how everyone else in the town it doesn't even register for them. But of course, for Luca, he looks around and he sees all these signs explicitly pointing towards him being an outsider that the town doesn't like or accept. Especially because these signs are about, you know, the heroes of the town, right? They're artwork about the great fishermen mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the monsters they've killed. And through anyone else's eyes, these are, you know, great statues in this sunny, beautiful, friendly piazza. But from Luca's perspective, they're violent and hateful and exclusionary. Right. And and I think it's a really just a great way to point out why it matters to listen to people mm. when they bring these things up. Yeah. And also to put ourselves in Luca's shoes and how it feels for him to look and see these messages. It's very easy to picture someone saying, oh, that's just a sign about a fisherman. We like the fisherman. It's mm-hmm. don't think too hard about that. Why are you, Why do you think so much about this? Right. And also uh, the pieces of the allegory where it's just these two boys and the constant fear and the constant threat of being exposed and outed. Yeah. If it rains, if someone with if someone washes their hands and then touches them, like it could be anything. Right. And you really feel that anxiety when you're watching it. Yeah. It's really really great. I love the allegory. I think it is definitely the best part of this movie. I absolutely agree. And at the same time, I just wish it was explicit. I hear that. I didn't feel that way as much the first time that we watched it. But the second time, I just wish it was. And I think Mm -hmm. that's because it's not that the movie is bad or it doesn't work. It definitely works on that allegorical level. But I just, I was just thinking about how much more impactful it would be if it was explicit I think it's easy for us and it's easy for me to watch it as an adult and to be able to really see that layer very clearly and explicitly because I think it's hard not to watch it as an adult and just like that's clearly what's happening. It's very clear. If it is below the surface, another C pun. Nice, nice. 
if it's below the surface, it is just below the surface. It's right there. I mean, it's fundamentally a romance. Right. Everything about it is a romance. But it's except- also not a romance. It's not explicitly one. It, it could just be a best friendship. Yeah. And I think that because this is a kid's movie, I think that the impact of making it explicit would be so strong. I just think about how impactful that would have been for me as a kid to be able to see that and the visibility of it, that genuine on the page slash on the screen representation. I just wish that they leaned into it. I hear that. I definitely hear that. I respect that. I think it probably would have been a more effective movie had that been the case. I think that Maybe there's also something to be said for having the lightest touch of deniability because that leads to this movie getting seen by more people who may not be allowed to see it otherwise. And I'm thinking of if it was made explicit and then this movie was banned or not shown in different communities, in different areas, in different countries, and how that explicit representation for the people who can see it would have been wonderful, but there also would have been children who were never given these messages and never given the themes of these movies and shown this allegory. And I feel like that is probably why they left it Mm -hmm. vague. I see the reasoning for that, although I also think that having it explicit would have been not a small step towards representation, but a, a big one. And an important one. Yeah. I just, I think you're right. And I think that sucks. I, I yeah. think, I think it sucks <laughs> that it would have been banned in some countries. Yeah. That some parents wouldn't have taken their kids to see it. And then I'm just like, well, what do we do then? Like, are, do we just not tell these stories because we're worried about these people? <laughs> like, isn't that the whole point of this movie? Like, if, if Disney can't do it, if Pixar, Disney can't do it, then who's who can? Like, they have the platform to do it. And I recognize that they basically did. But I just don't think, honestly, if I was, like, 10, if I was 12... You don't think you would have picked up on it? I don't think so. And I don't think I would have picked up on it because it's not visible, because there's so it's so so much of queerness is in subtext even still. Yeah. And that is getting better, but I just like ready for it to be in text. Yeah. I don't know. I recognize that the people who will push back exist <laughs> and they push back very loudly and I personally hear a lot of them because I get a lot of messages. <laughs> Because I have queer characters in When You Trap a Tiger. And you have been explicit that you want, when the book is translated and put into countries like China specifically, for those characters and their relationships to remain as you wrote them and not be erased. Right. So I don't know. It's like I loved it. (laughs) And I wished it was even more. And I don't think we would be us if we didn't say that part of the reason why Disney didn't make this decision, part of it sure was to get the film out to more people and to have these themes heard 
right? Themes of self-love and self-acceptance and being able to be who you want to be and to be who to be with who you want to be with to get those themes heard by people, even if it's not necessarily explicit. Hopefully that was a part of it. The ungenerous reading is that this movie would have been banned in China and that's a lot of ticket sales. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of people who would have gone to Disney World and would have bought tickets and would have put money into Disney's pockets, would have canceled their Disney Plus subscriptions. And Disney, when trying to take this stand, maybe they thought about the money that was on the line. And that always sucks. And we know that Disney has a history of, I mean, first, they have like a very bigoted and racist (laughs) history going way back. But in recent history, there's a lot that they've done that has bowed to the almighty dollar at the expense Mm -hmm. of, you know, what is right. Certainly about about Chinese occupation and uh, telling stories for a mainland China audience that are maybe harmful and maybe actively ignoring some of the dangerous things that China's been doing. Disney has not been afraid to walk on the money side of that line. Right. While also trying to get points for all their, quote, gay characters. Yeah. Like the whole fiasco of them talking about how they had a gay character in Beauty and the Beast, and then onward... (laughs) They've done a lot of queer baiting. Yeah, and a lot of like, oh, look how good we are. We didn't do a thing. Yeah. Anyway, I was thinking a little bit about what it might have looked like to make it explicit and what explicit would mean. Yeah. Because it's a little bit tricky. I think these are young characters. So it is a romance, but it's a very puppy love romance. It wouldn't have necessarily felt right if they had kissed at the end in a long, sweeping, passionate kiss (laughs) in the rain. Right. It's more of like a first crush story. Yeah. And I I think I wanted that to be clear at the end. So I was thinking about Luca and what Luca wants throughout the movie and what he's looking for. And it feels a little bit foggy to me. There is this kind of general idea of freedom, which makes a lot of sense with the allegory and also just with childhood, I suppose. He wants to get out of his small town of living underwater. So we have this vague idea of freedom, which is represented by the Vespa and this idea that Luca and Alberto are going to go see the world on a Vespa together. And that's really nice. And then about halfway through the movie... When Luca starts talking to Julia, we see his real desire for knowledge and how excited he is learning about the world and the universe and the stars and how much he wants to go to school and how he wants to learn even more. And I just think that's such a wonderful part of his character. Yeah. And I wish they had brought it in way earlier. I wish that we had known from the beginning that this is who Luca was? I think we sort of do. I think that at the beginning of the movie, we hear Luca say that he wants to know what's up there, right? He wants to know what's above the surface. He wants to know what life is like up there. He's curious about it. It's not about the ability to go anywhere. It's about the experiences that he can have above the surface. Again, that's not said explicitly, but I actually really liked the way 
that the few sentences he says about wanting to go above the surface and see what's up there can be in this Vespa is freedom, travel, open road, classic kind of freedom story, but also does apply to, you know, the pursuit of knowledge. I think it works in both ways. I really enjoyed that about Luca's character. I agree, but I just, I wanted them to go a little bit further in the beginning to make that connection. I wanted to see Luca, like, being a little nerd. (laughs) Like, not just him being, like, afraid of things with Alberto, Mm -hmm. but him being, like, collecting information and trying to figure out how things work. And, like, charting the times of the boats when he's underwater to kind of learn the schedule of the human world. Uh. And then when he's building the Vespa with Alberto for the first time, kind of, like, making engineering diagrams. Or I mean, not quite, because he's still a kid. But, like, being like, how does it work? How do these pieces fit together? I wanted to see him collecting information because I think it works so well once we see that school is an option for him, we we have this moment of like, of course, Luca needs to go to yeah. school. It just, of course. And I, I wanted to feel that so much more. It would have been a great montage. Oh, God. <laughs> you I, walked right into that. <laughs> I also think it could have worked so well with this idea of, for Luca... He wants to explore the world because he wants to understand it. He wants to collect this knowledge about the world. And in seeing the world and learning about the world, he also is trying to learn about himself. And that's just, of course, it's such a coming of age story. But this idea that as he's trying to learn things, he is also collecting bits of knowledge about who he is. Like, oh, I'm a person who can ride a bike. I'm a person who loves ice cream. Like just collecting these little bits of information, like in a like things about me Luca list or something less on the nose. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We just see him learning these things. And then at the end, when Luca and Alberto are saying goodbye, it's just this beautiful goodbye. Alberto says to Luca, you got me off the island. Which oh, is just beautiful. this incredible thank you and acknowledgement of what Luca has done for him. Mm-hmm. And I also think, like, in that exchange, we could have Luca be like, and you taught me so much. And, you know, Alberto could be like, like, you, like, what do you mean? You said yourself that I was wrong about the world. And then Luca could be like, you taught me about myself. And then could, like, kiss Alberto on the cheek or something. And then they could be all, like, awkward and, like, you know, like... Alberto can blush, except yeah. he's not really blushing. He just briefly turns into a fish, but only on his <laughs> cheeks. Ah. And then they, like, leave on the train, and it's the same as in the movie, because it's it's so great. God, that's so good. I want... I'm going to now, like, retcon this in my mind <laughs> to this be like, this is part of the movie. Do. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, oh, remember that scene? That, like, didn't actually happen. No, it happen. didn't happen. It, I think, is why we tend to like movies more. The movies that we like more than other people, it's not. It's because we watched a different movie. <laughs> it's because the movie we're remembering is just the one that we would have made. <laughs> but I just like, I, I think, in building out Luca's character just a little bit more, because 
I mean, he's a great character. Yeah. But building him out more, I think they could have, in doing that, made the romance more explicitly like a first love, first crush. Yeah. A romance love instead of just a platonic love. Yeah. I I absolutely agree with that. I think that would have been really wonderful. I think it also would have heightened the specific tension between Luca and Alberto about Alberto being the expert and wanting to be the expert. It would have made it more difficult for Alberto because that's so important to him and to see Luca clash against him in this way. We love to see characters who are both trying to get something, both reaching for their own purposes Mm -hmm. and they're reaching for these separate issues brings them into conflict. We love to see that. Yeah. That that would have been really beautiful. Yeah. And heightening the tension that comes from both people trying to find self-fulfillment rather than just like conflict between them not liking each other, being mad at each other. I think that that source of tension is, is so rich for storytelling. Yeah. I feel like we've already started to move into it a little bit. But let's start talking about what the theme of this movie is. Yeah, it's kind of hard to separate the theme from the allegory, and Mm -hmm. yet they are separate. Yeah. I don't think that the theme is explicitly or necessarily queer. So what did you think the theme was? Well, I had two themes, and I thought the most important theme was that Luca thinks that Vespa's our freedom, but it turns out that only jerks ride individualized private transportation, mm. and the real path to freedom is on a train. The true theme of this movie. Yeah, this movie is pro-train and anti-individual transportation and had not a single car, which you legitimately, truly love to see it. <laughs> you know, the happy end of the movie the character going away on a train it's beautiful that that was meaningful to me (laughs) josh loved the pixar movie about how trains are great (laughs) exactly so i thought that was the the real theme Mm -hmm. but i suppose that there is another another theme perhaps equally as important perhaps not about freedom and specifically that freedom is found through self-expression yeah Is that how you would put it also? Yeah. And I think that there is also this idea of fear and Mm. maybe the freedom from fear. Or embracing your fear being part of freedom. Mm, Yeah. And the confidence you can get through that. Yeah. It's a really nice coming of age story. It is. It's a really nice movie. Yeah. I think... It's interesting watching it right after Soul, which is, as we said on that episode, such a big swing, right? A movie about the meaning of life and death and passion and purpose and all of these like huge ideas, including like, what is a soul? And there have been other Pixar movies that deal with huge topics and also important topics that are not explicitly for kids, right? Like... Toy Story 4 is about how to live your best life after your kids leave for college. It, we've we've just we've talked about this over and over. Uh Finding Nemo is about losing your child and the fear of that. Monsters Inc is about growing apart as adult friends. And I feel like we have not really this is a wild thing to say. This cannot possibly be right, but it doesn't feel like there are many Pixar movies that are just simple nice coming-of-age stories. And they do it very well. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it is pretty rare for Pixar. I think it's like this and Brave. Yeah. And a version of The Good Dinosaur. Yes. But this was really great. I had a really nice time watching and I had a really nice time watching all of these movies. I can't believe that we just finished the most recent one. I know. So thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with us this whole time. <laughs> or, you know, skipping around to listen to your favorite episodes. Totally understandable. Yeah, that's what I've done. <laughs> um, next week, you know-ish, we will have our finale episode where we rank all of them. I am stoked for that. We're also going to talk about what it was about this project that was important to us, why we wanted to do it, why we thought it was valuable, aside from just being a good excuse to watch all these movies again. And maybe we'll talk about what comes next. We haven't decided yet. No, we haven't. <laughs> but we'll make that decision in the next week. And certainly we will be back as more Pixar movies come out. I think the next one, Turning Red, is scheduled for March 11th of 2022, another coming-of-age story about a girl who turns into a giant red panda when she gets anxious. So Amazing. We're psyched about that. All right. Thanks for listening. 